So welcome to the Northeast Bowhunter Podcast. I'm Mark Dearborn, and across the microphone is the esteemed uh, Joshua Morris. How's it going? It's going pretty good today. It's hot as balls. Crazy, crazy hot. Do you feel like every year I feel like we have a week where it's pretty nice out, like fall, and gets you excited about like you know tree stands and going to the woods? Like last week I hung a stand, and it was like beautiful out. Yeah, and then nice. the next week it's like Satan's butthole. Yeah, you you always have that one like it's usually not a week. It's usually like you get three days of like hellfire. Yeah. And that was today. It literally was a hundred and nine, like on the pavement, I think it Yeah. So when I when I left the shop today, the my truck read one oh nine. But some of that's like heat coming off the pavement and stuff like that. But either way, it was hot AF today. Like yeah. crazy. It still felt like hundred and nine. Um, so we're about how many weeks out now to um, bow season? About 17 days. 17 days to the New Hampshire But who's opener. counting? Yeah, I know. Um, and so at the shop, we get a lot of guys coming in and asking uh, questions I probably should have asked in June. June, yeah, for sure. But um, so, you know, the biggest question is uh, to Josh mostly too, a few to me, but mostly to Josh is uh, what are you shooting this year um, in terms of uh, bow setup, you know, Asking everything, asking the broadhead questions, asking yeah, the, the whole thing. Questions. Bow setup. What are you shooting for a bow sight? Rest, we, we had whatever, a guy came in arrows, broadheads. A guy came in right yesterday. Now. He was picking up a bow to actually having a bow to be dropped off to be tuned. And impulse buy bought a RX one. Yeah, um, yeah, that's right. And then got everything. Got a brand new sight with it. Got it all good to go. He's that's a, the nice thing about like the new bows today. You can get a bow like a couple weeks before season and be ready to go. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Like be shooting awesome before season with this new, this new equipment is like, it's so much easier than it used to be to tune it and to shoot it too, you know? So yeah, he so can I, come in and pick up a bow right now. And then 18 days later, he's ready to put meat in the freezer. Absolutely. So I think what we'll do is like kind of go through your setup, Josh, like piece by piece. We're kind of like, uh, some guys already know what Josh is shooting, but, um, if you follow him on Instagram, uh, but, um, I think maybe, uh, at did, Josh bow expert. That's true. Um, I think that we'll put that link in the description. Um, but, uh, I think that maybe the way to do it is kind of like surprise. We'll go through each part, you know, like, so, um, go through like, you know, the, the bow, the site, stabilizer, the rest, all the, all the goodies. So, uh, yeah. so Josh, what are you shooting this year for a bow? This year for a bow, I'm shooting the new Hoyt carbon RX one. I've always been a Hoyt guy, you know, but that realistically, there's a lot of good bows out there and, it's it really boils down to what you like better. You know what I mean? Like confidence is is number one when shooting. You know, if you're really happy and confident with your setup, you're gonna shoot way better. You know, if if um you're on the flip side, if you're not confident with your setup, you're not gonna shoot that great. But f- so for me, I'm super confident with Hoyt. Hoyt is always consistent with their bows. Um, they feel really good for me. You know, they, I like the grip, I like the draw cycle. And um, so, yeah, I'm shooting the RX-1 this year. So you're shooting uh, what camo pad in this year? Kuyu. Question for you. And I, I know the answer, but I'm going to ask you this. I'm shooting a Buckskin RX-1 this year. Um, I love it, but kind of wish I had the black one. Yeah, yeah, me too. So like the last, last year I shot a Buckskin Carbon Defiant 34. Prior to that, I think my, I don't know, six, seven, eight bows prior to that have been all black. Yeah, I've the, always gone black the with the bows. Out ninja bows. They look so yeah, good. Yeah, they look awesome. The nice thing is, you know, when you put like custom strings on it, you can you can do any color you want. With the black, it looks good, you know. So Joshua, you said you shot a um, thirty-four last year, and I know you usually shoot a longer bow. I why'd usually go do. With, yeah, yeah. Why'd you go with the shorter one this year? 
So yeah, so so since um, I guess the first Hoyt carbon, the carbon matrix, I got the uh, it was a thirty-five inch axle bow, and I shot that. And at the time, I also had a carbon. I mean, not a carbon. I had a Hoyt Maxis thirty-one, and I shot that bow well. But then when I got the Max uh, Matrix, rather, the names are all so close. Yeah. I got the Matrix. It was a 35. And I shot them both side by side. And out to 50 yards, I shot them about the same. But when I stretched them out, so like beyond 50, so 50 to 100, 110, 120 yards, that longer bow I really shot better than the shorter bow. It felt a lot more stable on target and also more forgiving. So I've always gone with a longer bow, except this year... This year, um, the day Hoyt was actually really on top of their game this year. The day they announced the new bows, I had a couple show up here, and um, one was a uh, Sitka Subalpine, and one was Cuyu Verde, and that Cuyu just looked sick. So I set it up and hunted the the last or the end of the 2017 season here in New Hampshire with that bow. So the the Ultras, which is a 35 again, weren't out yet. So I was shooting that bow. Then when the Ultra came out, I set one up and I shot it for a little bit. And I kind of found that, not to bash on Hoyt because I'm a hardcore Hoyt guy and most of you guys know that, they went away from the flexible cable guard that they've had. That since, kind of pulls since, the, the cables like away from the... Right. When you come to full draw and the cables go under tension, there's rollers that the cables go through and it's on a flexible arm. It's actually made out of the same material that the limbs are made out of, but just really thin. So... When you come to full draw, cables go under tension. They flex that arm in to relieve some of that tension. And what that does is that um, eliminates some or most of the riser torque. So when you come to full draw, the cables go under tension, and those cables are pulling really hard to be straight. So what happens at full draw is your riser is going to torque over to the right if you're a right-handed shooter. So this year they went away from that, and I think they did that because they went to a 6-inch brace height bow. There wasn't enough room in there to put that... um, uh, ZT arm in there. So when they did that, I felt like the longer bow torqued a lot more at full draw than the shorter bow did. So just after shooting them, paper tuning them, shooting them out of a machine, I, I had to I run that rest a lot more outboard than I did in the shorter bow. And I didn't really like that. So actually, I went with a shorter bow this year. And this is the first time I've went with a shorter bow in years. Do the longer axle-axle bows typically, you know, hold better on target? Typ- typically, they do. A little do, slower, yeah. right? Typically, they're a little bit slower, but we're talking yeah. two to five feet a second. They're a little bit slower, but they do hold better on target. But so this year, without with that, that um, flexible cable guard not there, the longer bow has more leverage. So you picture the cable going from the cable guard to the cam. Since you have longer axle to axle, that cable has more leverage. So the longer that that length gets, the l- smaller amount of torque is going to create greater effect on your your riser torque. So I just felt that that bow torqued a little bit more than I'd liked. So I went with the 32 this year. And so far, I've been really happy. I mean, I've shot. I was down in Texas with the guys from uh, Ripcord, Tight Spot, and Black Gold in uh, April. I think I was down there. And we did some 100-yard competitions, and then we did one shot at 130. That The 100-yard was a competition. The 130 was just for fun. But, um, I mean, I shot well, even with a 32-inch so bow. We won't mention any names because people will be upset, but um, there was a really, really famous shooter on there, guy who wins, like, ASA tournaments and things like that. And uh, I don't know if – I think the story is better if I say he was talking a little smack. Uh, 
you know, Josh is it was a all friendly fun, you no know, northeastern bow hunter part, you know, kind of guy. So, um, so we don't typically shoot you know, all, all, those, all those guys were western guys. Those guys are typically better shots than us eastern guys, just because they have to shoot distances out yeah. there, and we don't. Everyone has like three pin adjustable slider sights. They run the they run the um the pin off the bottom pin, you know, so it's 20, 30, 40, and then you run your slider off the 40, so they stretch out to like 100 and... About 130. Yeah, 130, 140 yards. Um, so Josh outshot the guy, and it was fine. It was um, it was one of those, like, bow dabs, sure coming <laughs> soon, and then that dropped his bow. Yeah, Corey like, Beam keeps asking about the bow dab shirt. Corey Beam is one of our customers. Um, so it's funny... He's um, super cool, dude. Do you think that... Uh, so last year, I shot a... um. A 34 and I love it. It holds yep. the target really well. And this year I went to a um I, I'm also shooting the RX one this year, the shorter one. So I what s- so why did you decide to go with the shorter one? Well, one because you did. No, just joking. Um <laughs> I, I felt like this is a weird thing to say, but I felt like the um where the grip was, I kind of centered the grip a little bit on that RX one, except on the ultra, it felt like it was like a giraffe. Yeah, no, know? I definitely agree. A so really tall the upper part of the riser. I didn't love the way it so so October first, or actually just before October first, Hoyt sends as a dealer. We get um, we get sort of like they call it a sneak peek. So it tells us a little bit about the new bows coming out for the next year, and it doesn't say names. It doesn't show pictures. It will say new cam, new limb pocket, or something like that. So one of the things was it said that it lowered the grip on the riser, and I actually was. I was actually pretty nervous. I'm like, oh, no, because I think they're going the wrong way. I think Prime had a, a really good idea when they came up with the Synergy, raising the throat of the grip to the center of the bow. Um, that, ju- that just helps hold on target, and also um, it, it, it helps in the draw cycle, too. Like if you draw back a Matthews, who typically have a really low grip, the top cam wants to come back at your face when you draw back, which I don't like. So when Hoyt said they're they're low in the grip, I'm like, oh no, what are we doing here? But but actually, they put a little bit more mass on the bottom of the bow, which helps it aim on target, and it doesn't feel like the top cam wants to smack you in the mouth when you're drawing back, which I was pleased with. But you're right, yeah, with the the Ultra, it does feel like there's a lot more riser above your hand compared to the regular RX one. Do you think it's kind of weird too that um, I feel like there's a trend towards um like shorter like. Axle axle bows like the Trax is a huge seller this year, um, in terms of that bow. Um, and then you know the Prime, a little less press about it, but the Prime Logic is very similar to that bow too. Yeah, they're fairly fairly short too. PSC 30, 30 and three quarter this year too. So yeah, PSC came out with that Evolve twenty eight. I'm not sure what they call, it, but yeah, that's a twenty eight inch bow too. So yeah, the, I'm not sure if the trends like I've been saying for almost two years now that I think you're gonna see the trends start going longer axle axle. And I still sort of stand by that. You know, I think I think Matthews made a pretty big, uh, almost um, not aggressive, but um, I guess you could call it aggressive jump, jumping to a 28-inch bow, which is, wasn't their first one. I mean, the Creed XS was the same way. But yeah. I don't know. The shorter bows are a lot harder to shoot, and they're a lot more finicky. Although the, you know... I guess sometimes I kind of do bash on Matthews, but the Triax actually is a really good bow. I I don't like how it feels when I draw it, but it is certainly the quietest, most dead in hand bow ever. And I've had um one of the reasons why I'm I, I've been so critical of Matthews is because of how they tune. They're um in the past have been very difficult. I felt that they're very inconsistent from bow to bow to tune these things. 
And uh, when we actually, we picked up Matthews at the shop a little bit later. Um, I was a little nervous about that because I'm like, oh, geez, now I got to tune all these triaxes. And, you know, some of these bows take a long time, you know, the, the older Matthews. But the triax actually, like, to give it credit, man, it's been really easy to tune. It's been very consistent. They've actually done a really good job with that bow. But back to the point, I still think that the you're going to kind of see the trend go longer because they do shoot better. You know, guys want a shorter axle axle bow because they're more convenient in the woods and easier in tree stands and easier in ground blinds and all that. But, you know, honestly, if you're shooting a 32 compared to a 34, realistically, we're talking one inch on either side of the bow. I mean, that's nothing. You know? Yeah, most people wouldn't even notice that. But also I'm coming from shooting, you know, I shot a long bow for years, so I'm shooting a 60 or a 62-inch bow. You know, so even a 35 feels pretty small, sure. you know what I mean? So to, so to get back on track here, so you're shooting RX-1, QU, Verde 2.0. Um, yep. First thing I know you do all the time, and, you know, I'm guilty of it now, too, being at the, being at the shop, is uh, custom strings on it. What did you do for strings? Yeah, so I actually, to be honest, I don't even remember. So I built a set of strings for it. I did... Hunter Green, Sage, and Flow Green, but I don't remember the combination. I think I did... Check his Insta. I think I did Sage and Flow Green with a Hunter Green pin with so Sage Serving, I think. what's it? Why custom strings? Why, why would someone want to throw <clears throat> take the few strings that the Hoyt sends along on there and do custom strings? Is yeah, there a real so, advantage? Um, there is an advantage for sure. So stock strings on bows are way, 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 way better than they used to be. Um, I feel that the stocks, the few stock strings on the Hoyts have been having problems with center serving separation, which means maybe the serving isn't that tight or whatever, but basically under the bottom knot of your string loop, the center serving separates. And when that happens, your knot kite creeps up. And when that happens, you know, your bow goes out of tune if it was in tune to begin with. And then the other thing would be your top cam rotating behind your bottom cam. So, and that's, that's caused by bus cable stretch. So bus cables on a Hoyt anyway, the cable that comes up and splits to your top limb. Some people call it bus cable. Some people call it uh, power cable, but um, see so yeah, how they, the stock strings tend to get a little bit more stretch. And the other thing is stock strings are, are um, they're made they're made, most of them are made by a machine. So these strings are made and then they're, they're set into a shelf and they, where they hang for who knows how long. So what happens when they hang is the fibers have a chance to relax and then they go from relaxed onto a tension state when they put them onto the, onto the bow. And most custom strings, at least the ones that we do, you know, we'll make the string and we have, um, pneumatic string stretchers so they're put on a stretcher overnight at about 300 to 350 pounds um they're stretched overnight and they go right from the stretcher on to the bow so they don't they, those fibers never are allowed the chance to relax before they're put on the bow yeah and i can back this up you know sort of the craftsmanship that goes into making strings i didn't realize until you know this year and i started making strings with josh a little bit it's all these little tricks and uh i feel like josh um you know it's not as fun it's not as fun as I thought it would be. I mean, no, it's, it's not really that fun. You think I, at first your, your neck hurts. Yeah, my your first, fingers get cut. My first set, I was like, "This is awesome. I love this." And then, like, now I'm like, "Oh, God, I hate why I hate, I hate bus cables." Like, I hate, yeah, those are a pain, especially when I hate you throw pinstripe. Yeah, pinstripe. Pinstripes are, are so last year. So if you're coming to the shop, you don't <laughs> want pinstripes. Just do solid color. Solid, solid color. Everything. It's the way That's to go. easier. 
Absolutely. But um, the, the other thing about custom, you know, which nowadays all guys want to dress up their bows. We're kind of like girls with matching outfits and shoes. You know what yeah. I mean? Like accessorize this bow, you know? So, so uh, yeah, you can do whatever color you want, every color combination you want. And a lot of the companies are doing the same thing where like uh, Hoyt and Fuse sent out colored discs with their stabilizers or colored rests or, you know, colored uh, Matthews does colored inserts with their quivers, you know? So, so now with the custom strings, you can, you know, pick a string color to kind of match all the rubber on your bow. Yeah, it's kind of fun, too, because everyone sort of, like, I know I do, like, I can't wait to, like, change out the strings. And, you know, I go as far as, like, matching, you know, arrow wraps and veins and kind of think of, like, how I'm going to coordinate the whole setup. Um, it's pretty funny, though, you know, as far as, like, you know, you think of what you're doing. You're, you're being this, like, tough bow hunter. You're going out in the woods and chasing down wild animals and, um, you know, care about, like, hey, I want these, I want yellow veins to match my... um you know, my strings and my riser, so all my grips on my riser and stuff. So, or my limb shocks. It's pretty funny how we all kind of do that stuff. I noticed that when I put my strings on to my new strings, I gained a little performance, a little feet per second on my bow, you know, as I retuned it. Yeah, typically we, we gain, it depends on the setup, but two to five feet a second. I think that's just because the material is a little bit lighter than the stock material. The other thing too, from like the material we use compared to like the um, material that most other companies use for stock strings anyway, the stock strings, if you look at stock strings on a bow, they look pretty ropey. You know what I mean? They're like, you can see all the little strands and like little grooves and stuff. But with, uh, we use almost primarily Brownell Fury's material and that material is, um, it's, it's a little bit thinner. So when we make a string and we burnish the string, burnish is when we put it on the stretcher and we kind of wrap a piece of material around it and and run it down the string while it's tensioned. That does a couple things. That sort of aligns the fibers, and it also gives it this sort of glossy, roundish look, and it also strips out excess wax. So they look a little bit cleaner that way. They're a little bit smoother and and, and not quite as ropey. Yeah, and I think that sort of... the the two things, you know, I, will you shoot a whitetail or a bear or a moose with um, stock strings? Absolutely. It's, it's, oh, it's, absolutely. Yeah. So moving on to the next thing you have, my friend, what site are you running this year? So for a site this year, I'm shooting the uh, Black Gold Pure Driven uh, single pin. It's a 19,000s pin in green. I like green. I think green shows up a little bit better than so the other colors. So what's the difference between 19,000th and, and 10,000th, right? Just, just people yep. look at. That's just the diameter of the the fiber, the um, fiber optic in the pin. So, so basically, the head of your pin at ten thousandths is going to be a lot smaller than a nineteen thousandths. And and a few years ago, twenty nine thousandths was sort of the size that everybody shot. But that's a pretty big pin. And uh, for me, like I like a ten thousandths pin if I'm doing longer range shooting or maybe target shooting. But for hunting anyway, the ten thousandths. It gathers less light. You know, it's hard, a little bit harder to see in that sort of that last 15 minutes of light, which all you guys know, that's when all the deer come out. So yeah. the 19,000s is sort of the... Um, Standard. No, it's sort of like that happy medium of, you know, it doesn't cover too much of the target, but it's also bright enough. The idea of that smaller pin is like a target that's farther away. As you put the pin on it, it's smaller, so it doesn't cover as much of it. You right, yeah. If, like, you're, if you're shooting a paper plate at 100 yards, the 19,000 is going to cover it. Yeah, completely. So my site's also on um, an, on a dovetail. So a dovetail 
gives you the ability to move your sight in or out. So basically closer to the riser or further away from the riser. And uh, I, this is actually, I think, yeah, this is the first dovetail site I've ever used, uh, uh, that I've ever used for a hunting site. And um, kind of the reason I did that, I started off shooting this year, um, the black gold pier driven with a direct mount. And I just felt like the site was a little bit further away from the bow than I, than I like. But also I'm used to a, a spot hog, Tommy hog, which I've hunted with for years. And the Tommy hogs really close to the bow is a direct mount site really close to the bow. So I went from that to, um, to this, um, black gold. And that, like I said, the black gold direct mount even pulled in all the way. It was a little bit further away from the bow than I wanted. So I ended up, um, ordering a dovetail for it and, and switched out my direct mount for a dovetail. And I ran it in, I almost as close as I can get it to the bow. Um, and then the reason I do that is, you know, there's this whole debate about, you know, running your site out far with a dovetail. You a can lot be of guys more accurate. like Cam Haynes has like the, the um, what does he have? The Hogfather? Hogfather, yeah. It's like a 12 inch dovetail. It's super far. <laughs> so, what, what we, yeah, what's the, I, so I shot one of those a couple of years ago and I probably shot the worst I've ever shot for a summer because it was just like sort of hard to hold on target. To me, while I get used to it, I mean, I was okay at the end. I, I, I could shoot a white tail in New Hampshire, no problem. You know, 40 yeah. yards, yeah, no yeah. problem. But, when I stretched it out to like 70 or 80 yards, I was all over the place. It was like ridiculous. Yeah. So in, in theory, if your sight is further away from your bow, it's sort of like an open iron sight rifle, right? So you get a long, long barrel. You get the rear sight and the front sight really far apart. And when you line those up, you can be more still, which makes you more accurate. So the same thing happens with a bow. You know, you move your, your sight out as far as you can away from the bow and you get that peep sight to scope alignment, you're, you're holding a little bit more steady. But the problem with that is when you run that sight out really far, it magnifies things like we talked about earlier, riser torque. So the riser torques over to the right, your pin is going to move further to the right. So basically, if you held your bow at static, knocked an arrow, looked down the string, aligned the arrow with the string, and look at how far out to the left for you right-handed shooters, your pin is. So the further out to the left is showing you how much that pin is torquing over to the right at full draw. Now, it is torquing over to the right at full draw because if it wasn't in line with your string and arrow, your arrow wouldn't hit where your pin is. So when you put that sight out further, that gives that allows that pin to swing further also. And also the other thing is, I know if you have some sort of grip issue, because and I'm not knocking if you have a grip issue because grip's one of the hardest things to get correct. So if you're torquing that riser, most most right-handed shooters torque it to the right. So um, if you're, you're torquing that bow over, that's going to be magnified by that pin being further away from the riser. And then the other thing would be just normal arm bow arm movement. So you're at full dry, you're anchored, you're looking through your peep. If you're not the steadiest person, that pin's going to have a lot more float to it when you're hold, trying to hold a pin on target. Um, another thing is going to be time that it takes you to make that peep to pin alignment or peep to scope alignment, rather. So when you look through your peep sight, you're looking through this circle that's close to your eye and you're trying, you basically want to get a perfect halo on the scope ring of your front sight. So you get that ring on ring alignment. So when it's further out, it's harder to get that alignment because it's harder to hold that pin still. So it takes you another, say, two to three seconds to get that alignment. 
but once you know if that takes you another two to three seconds to get that alignment you're going to take long once you get the alignment then you got to start putting the pin on target so what happens is you start you're you're holding your bow at full draw for too long and then your muscles start to break down then you can't hold steady because you're getting fatigue so that's another reason why you can't shoot as well because you're shooting a little bit later than you normally would have been with a sight in closer and i think that probably the um ideal shot time you know i would say once you get to full draw and this is just kind of me making up a number but when you get to full draw i think ideal time would be like five to nine seconds if you could break that shot within five to nine seconds i think that's that you're probably at your your optimum there um so like i said takes you longer to make that alignment maybe you break past that nine second mark muscles start to break down fatigue starts to set in you can't hold as steady and a lot of guys when you get fatigued what do you do a lot of times you just pull the trigger you know what i mean so so that shot's not as good so the other thing you move that scope further away from you now all of a sudden there's a lot more daylight around that scope than there was when it was in closer so in theory you should put a smaller peep sight in to get that perfect ring on ring alignment because it's a lot easier to be consistent when your your peep sight perfectly halos the scope of your your front sight. If you have too much daylight around that front sight, it's a lot harder to hold that front sight scope housing centered inside the circle of your peep. So you put a smaller peep sight in to make that perfect alignment. So then what happens? You're out in a tree stand, like I said earlier, that last 15 last minutes, night. right, when everybody, when all the deer come in, now all of a sudden you've cut out a lot more daylight and it's harder. You, you can see the deer, you draw back, you look through this small peep, say an eighth inch peep, um, and then all of a sudden the deer disappears because that light's not coming through that small hole to your peep site. So, so I really prefer that site to be sucked in close to the bow because of those reasons. Yeah, this year for me, you know, even with the CBE Tech hybrid pro I had on there, it was out too far for me. I, I said at the beginning of the year, I tried, I tried every site I think at the shop. So it's that's one the one nice thing about being at the shop is we, I mean, we're pretty fortunate, pretty lucky. We can try, at one, we can try everything. Yeah, at one there. point I, I stole, it's all is a relative term because I brought them back, but um, I had probably like the bills in the mail, $1,200 worth of sites at my house. <laughs> like I just, but so I tried them out and um, I really wanted to, my, my, my goal this year was to bring that site housing in closer to me direct mount it. So I was going to go with the, the fast Eddie two pin. Um, and I did. Yep. And then I tried the, the XL, which is on a dovetail. Then I tried the CBE and I actually tried the AccuHunter too, which I actually really liked. Yeah. Excel. That's a really good, that's a really good site. I had it. that on my, uh, <laughs> prime synergy for a little while. Yeah. And I love that site. And then, um, I went back to the, you know, the fast Eddie and I love that site. I'm shooting it really, really well, bringing it in closer, you know, trying to, not trying to be like every other, you know, chase every kind of like, cool looking bow site i mean those dovetail ones yeah don't don't sick. chase the trends man just do what works just be for me. you you know just yeah. be mark so are you, are you shooting the double pin fast eddie i am yep yeah double pins a pretty cool idea yeah i um i like it i so it's funny today i actually i did it for the first time so my how it works for me is um my um the um the pin is like there's two pins on there and there's an indicator that has two marks on it on the dial and so my if my top pin is at like 20 yards, the second pin is at like 40-ish. And I tried it today for the first time, stretched it out, and it was awesome. It was like right on. I was super pumped about it. Yeah, double pins are awesome. I actually, like I said, this year I'm shooting the black gold pure driven. But for um, years prior to this, I've been shooting spot hog, tommy hogs. 
but two years ago, two or three years ago, I added to my Tommy Hog a double pin scope housing, and I really like the double pin. So basically what a double pin is, you have a scope housing with a vertical post with a pin on the top, which is, you know, say your 20-yard pin if you're sighted in for 20. And then there's a second pin inside of the same post. So you can't change the distance between those two pins. So the second pin just is what it is. And for my setup, it ended up being 35 yards. So what happens, you know, here, you know, in the northeast is nice because we typically don't get shots beyond 40 anyway. So I'd set my sight for 20. My top pin's 20. My bottom pin is 35. So basically anything out to 40, like I'm covered. If I know it's 30, I know where to hold. If it's 40, I know where to hold. You know, it was a really good setup. And I really like that setup. But this year I'm trying something a little bit different by uh, black gold. And Those so far I'm, I, I'm really happy with my black gold site this year. I think, right. I, I think going forward I'm going to stick with them for a while. Yeah, I think a lot of guys in the shop are shooting the black golds. And I was going to shoot one too, but then, you know, it had to be me. No, I don't know what that means. But uh, so let's recap. RX1, Cuyu Verde 2.0, shooting a shorter bow this year, custom strings on it because he's a baller. And then um, Black Gold, Sight, Whisker Biscuit. <laughs> so that, all joking aside, um, David Thayer, who is one of the, the guys at Cutting Creek Archery um, in Outfitters, he smashed a giant bear today, or yesterday, actually. Yesterday, last night, last night yeah. 370 a, pounds. Yeah, it was a really Matthews nice bear. Triax, all pimped out. Um, David is whisker, hashtag whisker biscuit for life. So, uh, yeah, through whisker <laughs> Dave, biscuit. David is a killer, man. Yeah, you know, he, he smacked He it. puts the meat on the ground for sure. Yeah, that monster, that bear was a monster. And it's funny because I saw the photo, and Dave's not a small dude. He's a, what is he? He's a pretty big dude. Yeah, he's probably and, um, six one. I mean, he held the bear like like 40 feet in front of him, so it looked like a grizzly. <laughs> but no, that's not true at all. He was actually right on top of the bear. That, that was a big bear. Uncomfortably on top of the bear, and it was a monster. <laughs> um, so, you know, he, he shoots a whisker biscuit, and it's funny. We give him so much shit in the shop about it. We do. I mean, he likes that. But be the, you, right? Yeah. He, oh, that's, that's it. Like, I'm not going to judge you for what I might make fun I'm, of you. I'm judging. But, but you know, whatever works for you. And like I said earlier, if you're confident in your setup, you're going to shoot better. I don't care what you're shooting. If you're confident, it, you're going to shoot better. The mental part of shooting is at least 50% is probably more than that. So, yeah, he, um, he really loves his whisker biscuits because there's nothing get, that can go wrong with them. Um, I'm a little more critical of whisker biscuits. I think that they're more for, for kids and beginners, but you know, it is what it is. If you want to shoot one, I mean, rock on man. Yeah. But like I said, he puts stuff on the ground and he's a, he's a very accomplished hunter. So, uh, you know, do we get any details from that hunt Val? today? No, I haven't heard anything man. yet. It was, it was, it was pretty awesome seeing that photo. Um, so what are you shooting for a rest? I, he, oh, he <clears> talk, <throat> hold on a second. Let's back. Let's, <laughs> give me that like dump truck. The beep, beep, back that shit up for a second. Um, so I don't know if you can talk about your super. So Josh and um, the guys at Ripcord are like they're like best friends. They're okay. like I love those guys. They're, they're guys like bros. Like, I think they're like the best guys so, in the industry. Just long story short, you know they they have a um, a limb driven rest called the Drive. Josh had thrown on yep. his bow. He didn't like a few things about it, so we um we prototyped up thanks to my cousin Dan Antonellis. Um, yeah, Mark Machini helped us genius. out with that too. Me and Mark and and Mark's cousin. Yeah, we got. Kind of the things that we didn't like about the drive rest and prototyped um, it. Address we prototyped it, and then I went down to uh, Texas to hunt with those guys, and I brought the pro our our sort of prototype down, and uh, showed it to uh, Kevin at Ripcord, and um, 
he, I think he thought it was kind of cool that we actually cared, you know what I mean? And that we put some thought into this and then, uh, but they had something in the works already. Yeah. So they were working on a, another rest and, um, he ended up uh, sending me one of their prototypes to test out this year. And I think that's going to be their new 2019 rest. So I can't say anything about the rest other than I'm loving it, dude. Like this is this is gonna be my rest for a while. I think I'm shooting the Ripcord Max micro adjust. So the Ripcord Max, yeah. So when Ripcord, I shot QAD for years, and I really liked them. I never had any problems with my QAD. Um, but being at the shop, I've seen a few QADs come in with problems. What you, but you're gonna get that with any product out there. I don't care what it is. Um. I wasn't a huge, huge fan of the Ripcord Code Red. It's a good rest for the money. I mean, you're getting an awesome rest for the money. But for me, I just kind of, I guess maybe like an ego thing. I felt like I was above it or whatever. But that's not nice to say, but but this is the truth. So um, Ripcord came out with the Ace, and I thought that rest, like, I saw that rest. I'm like, all right, now this is my rest now. So I threw the QAD away, and I started shooting an Ace. And I shot that for the last few years. I don't know. I don't remember when they came out, three or four years ago. Um, so yeah, I've shot Ripcord ever since. I was shooting their Ace, and then this year, if I wasn't shooting the new Pro 2019 prototype, I would be shooting. I guess if I could recommend one rest that's on the market today, it would be the Ripcord Max. I, I shot the drive when I went to Texas and I hunted down there with uh, uh, my RX1. I had a drive on my bow, and um, that's what I hunted with. I killed a few animals with the drive on there, and I really liked the drive. It was a good rest. I think that that there was some improvements to be made, but I was still happy with it overall. So let's go through like difference between cable driven rests, limb driven rest. So cable driven rest versus limb driven rest. There's, there's definitely pros and cons to both of these. I've sort of always been a cable driven rest guy. Um, so a cable driven rest is a, some sort of drop away rest that has a cord that comes out of it that gets tied in to your typically your bus cable or your power cable or your down cable. Um, the, the, the cons to that is that when you put a cable through your bus cable or even just attach it with a little football clamp that a lot of them get sent with, if you, if you don't set your rest timing correctly, you can adversely affect the timing of the bow. So basically you come to full draw and that cord is pulling too hard, which is essentially making the cord uh, or making your cable shorter. And when your cable goes shorter, your top cam goes ahead of your bottom cam. So if some someone is setting timing on the bow that has a, a cable-driven rest on it that's pulling too tight, they're going to set the timing so the draw stops are hitting at the exact same time. But they may not be hitting at the exact same time because you're drop away cord is too tight and it's pulling on that cord giving you a false timing reading so that would be a, a con to a cable driven rest i think a, a pro to a cable dri driven rest for most people um a cable driven rest is going to drop that launcher down out of the way faster than a limb driven rest um and and what i mean by that is your arrow is going to have less time on that launcher and when your arrow has less time on that launcher, that gives or um, that that sort of hides any shooter mistakes. So if you drop your arm a little faster than you should, or if you have a flinch, or if you jump at full draw, 
it's going to throw your shot off by less because by the time you've moved the bow, the launcher's already down out of the way and it's not steering your arrow, which is one of my complaints about a whisker biscuit. Any movement that you do is moving or steering that arrow until the knock leaves the, that, that biscuit there. So that would be a, a pro to a limb-driven, I mean a cable-driven rest that, that if you screw up, it, you're going to miss by less with a cable-driven rest. Uh, and then the adverse side to that, a limb-driven rest, because you're, if you're a good shooter or if you don't screw up, which everybody screws up at some point, but um, <clears throat> your arrow is going to be on that launcher a little bit longer. So that launcher is going to drop later than a cable-driven rest will. So if your arrow's on the launcher longer, that's going to stabilize your arrow better than a cable-driven rest will, will do. So that would be a, a pro to a, a cable-driven rest. And some of the guys complain about like a, I'm sorry, uh, limb-driven rest. Some of the guys complain about a limb-driven rest because the cord is so long that they're afraid that it's going to get caught on a branch or rip off or I something. Hear that like every day. Like, okay, well, you also have three other strings there. Like, I wouldn't worry about that. You know what I mean? That's, that's sort of a minute worry right there. But, but the other thing is, if that did happen and you ripped the cable off or you screwed something up, a limb-driven rest, you can fix that cable in the field. You don't need a press. You can you could take off your boot lace and fix it if you needed to, you know? So so that, that would be another pro to a limb-driven rest. And like I said earlier, a con to a limb-driven rest would be if you screw up, it's going to show up more in your shot. Yeah, I had a little hard time tuning. I had a Trophy Taker Smackdown Pro on the bow for a little bit, and I was getting a, was getting a crappy tear, and I just couldn't fix it. So I, I pulled it off and um, put a um, the Ripcord um, Max on mine, and um, I actually put that Trophy Taker Smackdown Pro on my Defiant 34. The backup bow, yeah. Yeah, and it's shooting lights out. It's awesome. I love it. You know, it's, it's, it's fantastic. So that's how it goes. So... Um, Recapping, this is like the um that Christmas song, you know, like the <laughs> QURX one, Red Works, demand everything, hashtag demand everything. Um get serious. Absolutely get serious. Direct black gold site. Special top secret we can't talk about rest from Ripcord. I would say for the record now, Ripcord Max. That's what I would be shooting if yeah. I didn't have the the new one. Yep. And plus the, you know, the thing about that Ripcord company is uh Good people, like never warranty work, no problems, like just just fantastic. That's the thing. People. Like I, I really like, like it makes me happy to sell products from good people. If you're an right? asshole, yeah, I'm, if you're an asshole, if you're bit. an asshole, I'm not selling you shit, basically. But but no, Ripcord, like Keith and Kevin at Ripcord, like some of the nicest guys in the industry, and super hardcore, passionate people, passionate bow hunters, passionate archers, and they're people, people. You know what I mean, like. They care about people, and some of these companies don't, you know. And that's, you know, it's it's it is what it is, you know. And these guys care, and and this year on my bow, I decided I'm gonna shoot everything from people that are nice people, and that's what I what I'm doing. And and at the end of the day, I can sleep better because I know I sold somebody, you know, a Hoyt bow with a ripcord rest and a black gold sight, and the other accessories that we're gonna bring up next. I sold people these these accessories and it makes me feel good because i know these are good people in these companies and also i know that the, the product is gonna perform for the for the guy buying it yeah and a lot of things we have in the shop too you know i get it some guys don't have 160 dollars to spend on a rest so they end up shooting something different 
you know, and we do the best ability to tune it. And yeah, that's you know, what I'll, I'll sell somebody like a ripcord code red. Yeah. Or like, yeah, like 110 bucks. You can yeah, get a so, really good drop away rest. But you know, the, the thing about that is it's just like, you know, it, it's good sort of like to like really stand behind a product you, you, you're pushing, you know, not pushing, but it's on your bow, you know, you're shooting it. Proof is in the pudding kind of. Yeah. There's a lot of RX ones out there that are identical to my yeah, bow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's talk about stabilizer. Um, let's, let's do it in two parts. Um, both Josh and I are shooting the same stabilizer. Um, I still have a great find at ATA this year, but also um, we both did something similar this year. Um, we had different setups for kind of like target 3D than we do for hunting, and maybe we can get into why we did that or you did that. Yeah, so so this year I'm shooting um, well, back up to ATA. I was there. ATA, you know, you get to meet some cool people. That's the archery trade association, like convention slash. Yeah, they put all the showcase. new products are out. All the companies are there, so it's nice. You can put a face to the person Shout you talk to, to my on homeboy, the phone. Adam Greentree. That's right. It's and behind uh, the string, look me up. <laughs> look me up. So, um, yeah, I was out there and I came across a booth. It was um, Spider Stabilizers. It was a super nice husband and wife couple there selling stabilizers. They were really good-looking stabilizers. They had a really nice uh, display there. So I started chatting with them, and um, I ended up starting to carry their stabilizers, which they were nice enough to laser etch our logo onto the stabilizer, which was really cool. But but uh, it's just a really sleek, clean, well-built stabilizer. I was really happy with it. So the the one that we sell the most of and the one that I think all of us in the shop shoot is the Spider Predator. Um, but I do shoot, for like like Mark said, shooting 3D or shooting targets compared to hunting. I shoot a little bit different setup. Um, for 3D and targets, I was shooting just, um, and I'm not talking like hardcore target shooting. I'm talking about just screwing around with friends. I was shooting a 10-inch Spider Predator in the front with a quick disconnect, which gives it another inch or so, um, with just the stock weight up front, which is four ounces. And then a six-inch Spider Predator in the back with um, that new Hoyt, um, rear stabilizer mount on that um on the rear mount on the riser that they put on the bow this year which i thought was a cool cool thing so i was shooting a 10 inch up front six inch in the back and the reason i did that is because i think that it, that the bow held better on target I Typ- agree. typically the more length you add to a stabilizer no no the more weight you know we're all we're all excited about these light bows coming out but honestly they don't hold on target like a heavy bow does so so, uh, yeah, I put these stabilizers on, add a little bit more weight. And when you do add weight to your bow, add it below your hand because that's going to help um, hold more steady on target. So that's what I was shooting for targets, 3D, whatever. Uh, when I hunt, though, um, like this year, I'm just shooting a Spider Predator 8-inch stabilizer in the front with a quick disconnect. So I'm about 9. Actually, when you add the weights, I think I'm pretty close to 10 inches. But I don't want to go for The reason I changed it is because... The 10 and the 6 is just a little too heavy for carrying it through the woods. A little too cumbersome. It's, it's just too much length. I just, uh, just too much. You Are you know? worried that you're going to get caught on trees like your string from your uh, <laughs> No, no, <laughs> not really. Rest? Not really. It's just, le- it's just less yeah. convenient to it's carry. It's funny when you, it's like walking in, it's always like lighter. And then coming out after a long day, it's like, how did this bow weigh 50 pounds now? I know. Um, you know what I was thinking? Um, and, you know, it's one of those things... Um, don't a lot of guys out west like did you know two of um they keep that back bar and the front stabilizer that way the whole week and big weights too like yeah the western guys shoot pretty big bars and a lot of weights and I think the reason is I mean it's more open countries you don't get hooked up on anything 
but the other thing is those Western guys, man, they're shooting a lot more, di- like longer distances than we are. You know, like I said earlier, we're in the Northeast, like 40 yard shot is about the max most people are going to get. So that's, that's another reason why I'm shooting only an eight inch up front because I'm going to shoot a deer at 17 yards, man. Like it doesn't really matter what I have for a stabilizer on my bow at that point. So, um, yeah, this year that's what I'm running. I'm running a, a spider predator eight inch stabilizer on the front for hunting. Yeah, it's a it's a quality stabilizer. They're super sharp looking too. They, uh, you talked about earlier the accessories and colors on your bow. They come in different colors and stuff. They're pretty awesome. Um, and I think you, uh, this is the first year I'm shooting the same quiver as you because I've always had a different quiver. But man, um, not to not to give it away too much or foreshadow too much, but um, I love it. It's it made a huge difference. I feel like I could shoot with my quiver on now. Before I never thought I could shoot my quiver on. Um. So you're shooting the, I see that. Hold on. <laughs> Josh is shooting the whole product line this year. I'm just shooting <laughs> one of them, the five arrow one, but uh, the whole shoot, product. That is actually, yeah. that's right. I'm not even I'm exaggerating the whole project line, the whole product line. Yeah. So yeah, for a quiver on my bow, I'm shooting a tight spot quiver. Um, years ago I was shooting Hoyt quivers and they're decent, like not to knock, knock the Hoyt quivers at all. Cause I really love Hoyt and the people there. But yeah, tight spot. I, I started shooting a tight spot quiver maybe four years ago. I started shooting their three arrow tight spot quiver. The reason I like the tight spot quiver is because, you know, just by their their name, tight spot, right? You can get that quiver really tight and close to the bow, which nothing drives me more crazy than have a quiver hanging way off the side of my bow. That's just, I just hate that. So um, the tight spot's really tight and close to the bow. The other thing is it's super light, and you also have the ability to adjust tension on the grippers. So if you're shooting a 4-millimeter FMJ or if you're shooting like a, I don't know, like a Carbon Express Maxima Hunter, which is like similar to like a 6-millimeter arrow, you can adjust the tension on that gripper so that that's going to hold the arrow just as tight as you'd like it to, which isn't a really nice thing. So I shot the 3 arrow for the last few years. Um Recently, I started shooting a five arrow for turkey. So, so I'm shooting basically whitetails in the northeast. I'm shooting a three arrow tight spot, which up here you should only need one arrow anyway. Um, three arrow tight spot for whitetails. Um, five arrow tight spot I'm using for turkeys because it seems like turkeys you got to shoot them way more than once. And <laughs> and the the three arrow quiver just wasn't enough. I, turkey I've, is the northeast uh, big game like. I don't know what's the equivalent the tur- to the West. Turkeys are crazy, man. They're insane. So I can't tell you how many times I've emptied a three-arrow quiver on turkeys and be picking up arrows or pulling arrows out of them, shooting them again. It's insane. So I'm shooting a five-arrow quiver for turkeys, and then um, I have a seven-arrow tight spot for when I go to Texas, right? So the seven-arrow tight spot quiver is my Texas quiver. Because in Texas, you shoot everything that comes in. Like, you unload that seven-arrow quiver in Texas. Texas is insane. So yeah, tight spot quivers, um, I'm a huge fan and probably one of our best-selling quivers at the shop. Yeah, I think it's probably the best quiver. I mean, it's so funny. I shoot the five arrow one, and I um, I, it, it doesn't feel like it's there at all, which is really funny. It's usually like I think I've shot like you know quite a few different kind of quivers over the year and just the years. Um, and man, it, it's pretty cool. And I, the other pet peeve Josh has too is like he likes to have his arrow centered in his bow, so. Yeah. Well, customers will come in and have their bow and either the arrows are like too high or too low. And the first thing he does is grab the 
one of the Allen wrenches and adjust those. Adjust their for, quiver. Yeah, that's free of charge, by no, the way. Nothing drives me more crazy than like a quiver that sits down too low. So like the um, broadheads of the quiver would be like three inches above the sight bracket, and then the the bottom of the arrows hanging down four inches below the the bottom limb. I'm like, come on, man, it drives me nuts. So like somebody would come into the shop just to change a loop, and I like adjust their quiver for them. Like I can't let you go out in the woods like this. It's just an abomination. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. So the other thing I didn't mention with the quivers is. Tight spot is a quick, quick disconnect. So, and I'm not just like pumping tight spot. I mean, any quick, I like a quick disconnect quiver. When I shot Hoyt quivers, it was a quick disconnect quiver because I shoot, although this last year I've been really bad about shooting a lot because I've been way too busy. But prior to this year, man, I shot every single day. I don't care what day it is. I shot every day. And because I shot it, and I actually shot a lot better last year than I did this year. This year I'm struggling because I'm not shooting enough. But anyway, so we shot before the the this we went live with the podcast. Yeah, before yeah before we recorded I have West Nile virus too. By the way, we're uh, mosquitoes. Mosquitoes were pretty bad. They're like pterodactyls in (laughs) Barnstead apparently. (laughs) So um, because I shoot every day, I don't want this quiver hanging off of the side of my bow with arrows in it. You know, forget that. So basically, for me, like the quiver is just to get the arrows from the truck to the tree. And actually, like to kind of rewind a little bit, I said I'm shooting a three arrow for deer. I probably will a little bit. But this year, I think I'm shooting a five arrow for deer only because it's in Cuyu Verde and it matches my bow. Like, tight spot doesn't make a three arrow quiver in Cuyu Verde. If they did, I'd be shooting that. But but they don't. So I'm shooting a five arrow for deer this year. Maybe for 2019, they'll, you, you send a message. I've in. been saying, man, do it. And actually, tight spot came out with a double gripper thing, which I've mentioned to him in the past. I think that's a really good idea because all the, the guys that shoot um, mechanical broadheads, it's, it's a... Mechanical, I mean, you really want to have a double gripper quiver. So, speaking of broadheads and uh, the things that broadheads attach to, arrows, what are you shooting for arrows this year? So, for arrows this year, I'm shooting um, Easton's. I've always been an Easton guy. There's a actually now, there's there's like a lot of good arrow companies out there right now. Um, Victory is actually one that Victory and, and Gold Tip both, but but Victory in particular has really caught my interest recently. But there's a lot of good arrows out there, but like I said, I've always been an Eastern guy. I've um, experimented with uh, Carbon Express a little bit. There was one year I hunted with um, Carbon Express Maxima Reds. And actually, turkey season this spring, I did shoot the the new Maxima SD. That was an awesome arrow, too. The small actually, diameter one? Yeah, that's small diameter. Yeah, SD, small diameter. So that's actually out of the Carbon Express lineup. The uh, SD is my favorite arrow. That's I really have no complaints about that arrow, but I am an Easton guy. Um, I've shot Easton for, I don't even know, a long time back when they had, you know, the XX75s and stuff like that, aluminums. So this year I'm shooting the Easton 5mm FMJs. I shot them last year for the first year, and prior to that I was shooting Easton ACCs. I shot Easton ACCs for quite a while. That was my all-time favorite arrow was the Easton ACC. But last year I started shooting the five millimeter FMJs, and I shot I think I shot four deer last year with with the uh, FMJs, and man, those things hit like a ton of bricks. Are you shooting match grade ones this year? Uh, this year I am. So what's the trend towards? I know that Easton has uh, Easton has match grade arrows. Um, also, like Carbon Express has the uh, select arrows. Yep. I think it's just that sort of informed bow hunter thing. But what's the difference between a, a regular like Easton FMJ five millimeter? Um, in a match grade and also like a carbon express like you know blue rz that's a regular one that's you know in the shop or select and then the selects yeah so 
So basically with Easton, they came out with this year the FMJ match grade, and they also did an Axis match grade. And basically what that is is the straightness of the arrow, the straightness tolerances of the arrow. So a normal 5mm FMJ is straight to within two thousandths of an inch. Um, a FMJ match grade is straight to within one thousandths of an inch. So it's a, it's a straighter arrow than you would get out of a standard FMJ. And honestly, for the average shooter, are you going to notice that? No, probably not. But again, like I said, that's going back to the mental part of it. So if you know you're shooting a one thousandths of an inch match grade FMJ compared to a standard FMJ, which is two thousandths of an inch, you're going to be more confident with your setup and you are going to shoot better. I'm telling you, the mental part is huge. If you're confident either in your setup or, or both, if you're confident in your setup and you're confident in your shooting, you are going to shoot better. If you walk out in your backyard and you say, well, I'm going to suck today. Well, guess what? You're going to suck today. Like, I don't care. You're going to suck today. But if you go out in your backyard and say, oh, man, I have the best bow, I have the best sight, rest, stabilize, everything, best arrows. I'm going to shoot awesome. I'm going to shoot X's for days. You're probably going to, you know. Dude, I'm the worst shot. I'm just super confident. You're That's an, what I do. You're, you're an anomaly. So, so yeah, match grade is straight to within one thousandths of an inch compared to two thousandths of an inch in FMJ. Uh, with Carbon Express, like they have the um, Maxima Blues and the Maxima Blue Selects. Um, the Selects, basically, it's the same thing. The Selects is straight to within one thousandths of an inch. Um, the regular Blues are straight to within two and a half thousandths of an inch. So yeah, that's it's a mental game, you know. It's but it is a better arrow for sure. So I'm shooting Easton five millimeter FMJ match grade. I am shooting 125 grain points this year, which is sort of not the norm. It always was the norm, you know, when I shot the Easton Aluminums, everybody was shooting 125s, and then everybody sort of shifted to 100s, and now most people, I would say 90% of people are shooting 100 grains. Um, What I used to do and what I sort of got away with, probably because I got lazy, was I used to set up three arrows with 100 grain, three arrows with 125 grain, and I would shoot groups and see which one shot better. And usually it was a 125 grain, and then one year, the 100 grain, I felt that it shot a little bit better. So I switched to 100 grain. I was shooting a Hoyt Spider Turbo that year. Um, so ever since then, I just kind of stuck with 100 grain. Like I said, I got lazy. But this year, just recently, I uh, made up a few different combinations of FMJs. I did a uh, uh, some with 50 grain brass with 100 grain points. I did 50 grain brass with 125 grain points. I did standard inserts with 100 grain points, standard inserts with 125 grain points. I, I shot groups and I also paper, uh, paper tuned. And I came up with a standard insert, 125 grain point out of the yeah, 5 millimeter FMJ match grade. And that's what I'm shooting this year. And three blazers. Three blazer veins, you know, everybody's talking about four fletch, this, that, and the other thing. Three-inch veins, two-inch veins. I don't know, man. This, the two-inch blazers in the last, I don't know, six or eight years have always worked out good for me. Do you know what the problem I have with the four fletch and the five fletch, the six fletch? The extra fletching. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> just doing the work. Three's enough, man. What's well, the dozen. extra work, but also, like, it's, it's kind of funny because there's this whole craze about foc right now right oh, the and then, FOC. All, then all of a sudden you're shooting four three inch veins in the back well guess what you just screwed up your foc i mean unless you're shooting brass or heavy points and and foc is hard to get in an arrow like an fmj you know basically because the 
overall heavier arrow shaft, it's harder to get more FOC because there's more weight in the back of that arrow. You know, if you're shooting, a, you know, the same length and spine hex compared to an FMJ with the same point and same vein configuration, the hex is going to have more FOC because it's a lighter shaft. You're putting more weight on the front as comparison to the light shaft. Um, so with that heavier FMJ, and then you throw four veins on the black on the back, and then you put a lighted knock on there. You totally fucked your FOC. You know what I mean? You're probably seven percent, which is getting really bad. I mean, I think I think if you're anywhere nine to twelve, you're fine. You know what I mean? Like everybody's talking about twenty percent FOC. All right, yeah, that's fine, but. I think overall arrow weight is really what matters. You know, if your arrow enters a target with the knock completely squared behind the point, meaning it's hitting perfectly straight, I don't care if you have 20% FOC or 8% FOC, it's going to penetrate the same way. Yeah, I think that in terms of um, that, that's a topic for a different podcast. Though. Yeah, let's see. Don't don't get me going on. Don't that. get me going. Every time Josh has beers, <laughs> he sends me a message being like, "We get a podcast talking about FOC. This I'm so FOC. I'm so pissed off right now. Um, I'm so that, Jason that actually, that, that, <laughs> that actually Is happened that once. That actually happened. That, once. That's yeah. a true story. Most of the stuff I say here, even though it seems like a little bit funny or um, like asshole to Josh, it's actually based on actual facts. Most of it that happened. Yeah. Most of it is. So I mentioned um, lighted knocks on the back of the arrow. I am shooting lighted knocks this year. I'm shooting the clean shot lighted knock in green. I started that last year. The rep gave me a few packages to try out, and I shot them. And I was really pleased with the knock fit. I was pleased with how um, easy it was to turn the knocks off compared to some knocks. Um, Overall size of the knock was really good, and also... The, the biggest point for me, so some years I use lighted knocks and some years I don't. And it, it all boils down to how it affects my arrow flight. So I've had some bow setups. And actually, this is one thing that I haven't figured out why. I've had some bow setups where I can put on a lighted knock and hit three inches low at 20 yards, which is huge. And then put that same lighted knock on a on a on a even the same arrow out of a different bow and be right on. I, I haven't figured out. I've, I've sanded out the inside groove of the knock. So it mat, it clicks onto the serving the same as a stock knock. I've sanded the outside of the knock. So it's the same size as a stock knock. I've added weight to a stock knock, stock knock. I couldn't figure, figure it out. So some years when they hit super low, I don't use them. Um, however, with the new clean shot knocks, I haven't had a setup yet where they hit super low compared yeah, to the other. Yeah, we've had a I few bows use. come into the shop to have um, super tuning done and um, tear horribly, and they have like a nocturnal on the back side of it. And then we pull that out, put a standard <clears throat> yeah, knock in it, and it tears fine. Yeah, that's the one thing. Nocturnal, like not to knock them, no pun intended. That's pretty funny. <laughs> not not to knock nocturnal, but when they came out, I've, I've used a lot of them. You know, I've used Trace, Easton Tracer knocks. I've used uh, Burt Code Illuminox. He goes through knocks like he goes through girlfriends. Just, oh, snap. I'm just joking. It's causing trouble. <laughs> no, no, you're not. So, so um, yeah, when Nocturnal first came out, I switched from Eastern Tracer Knox to Nocturnal, and I was super happy with with uh, how they worked and all that. But like I said, some setups they hit low. But something I've noticed with Nocturnal is they've cheapened the knock up, they've made the knock bigger, and their knocks start to rattle now. And like you said, Mark, the 
if you paper tune with a nocturnal, like it, it, it's horrible compared to a stock knock. So I've gotten to the point now when somebody brings in an, a, a bow to paper tune and they have nocturnals, I immediately pull them out, put in stock knocks. I tune the bow to a stock knock because it, you can't, you can't tune a bow to an arrow with a nocturnal in it if one arrow tears high right and the other one tears low and the other one tears low left. Like, they're so inconsistent. I just, you're chasing your tail. So I pulled the nocturnal out, put a stock knock in, and then I just tune it with that. But um, but actually, like, that kind of brings up something in my head that's, I don't think I've ever paper tuned a bow with a clean shot knock. We had to try that sometime. But, but so far, I've had really good luck with clean shot knocks other than they're super hard to put in your arrow. They are. They've got to figure that out. Corey, clean shot. I love you, man. You got to figure out. We have a patented like, way to do it. It's a shop. Tough. It's um, it's a trade secret, so we can't tell you. But Usually when people buy those knocks, I, I ask them, I'm like, please let me put these knocks in for you yeah. because cause I don't want somebody coming back pissed off at me because the knocks are so I've tight. I've destroyed one. Or they break. A lot of people have come in. They've, they've broken the knocks trying to put them in and like, just let us put them in like. We'll get them in for you. And the other complaint I have is because they fit so tight and some diameter, S diameter isn't too bad, but uh, X and H are really, really tight. Once you get that knock in, you can't index that knock because you can't turn it. If you spin it, you're going to break the knock. Pretty much if you had arrows built by me with those knocks, I've licked all the knocks. <laughs> Mark's DNA is on yeah, all seriously. your arrows. I know. I'm going to get some kind of crying scene or something. Here. I use bowstring wax rather than saliva. I use bowstring wax and saliva. Just... <laughs> Gonna be me. <laughs> so okay, let's let, let's talk about that. So do you do you spit on it? Or do you lick it? It depends on how I'm feeling. <laughs> like, and uh, do you do that before the bowstring wax or after? Once again, depends if we have lunch or not. If we Jesus, order Charlie's, I usually do. You do it after. Wax after. Yeah. After. Yeah. 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 I've never licked any knocks. Okay, I licked one, <laughs> but it was my own arrow, and uh, I had Good too many grief. beers. It was fine. <laughs> so so what about um? Uh, we've talked about most things here what about releases what are you shooting for a release scott because you're sigma. shooting a little bit different than i am for with your release yeah I shoot it's a really sigma. personal thing yeah i actually um it's funny because i used to shoot a fang wrist strap release for a while liked it i dropped it in the woods couldn't find it and actually miraculously my friend paul lewis thank you for letting me hunt your property um he found it for me like the next winter before uh he shoveled his driveway it was there and it was fine um, but I'm shooting a Scott Sigma thumb release. Um, I love it. Took me a whole summer to get used to it. Went to Ohio last year. I almost scrapped it because I, I got panicky because I, I broke my sight. I didn't put any sight on. And so I... Oh my God, I broke my sight in Ohio once. Mm. So then I um, was going to shoot a, a wise guy, spot hog wise guy sight, campaign style. And I um, shot it and I shot like shit. It was left and right. up and It was horrible. Grabbed the Sigma. Money. 40 yards. Really? No kidding. And I was like, you know what? I'm staying with the Sigma. I shot the Sigma the whole summer. But last minute, as I was going to Ohio, I was packing up. I'm like, I'm not going to shoot this. I'm not going to shoot a thumb. But I like it because I can clip it onto my D-loop, hang it in the tree, and just not worry about hooking on my, my, my release. And, yeah. just and it's it, nice you know? climbing a tree and stuff like that. You don't have something hanging off the your problem wrist. Are, and also putting your hands in your true. pockets. The problem is that, you know, those thumb releases, the nice ones are $250, you know, so I'd like to buy a backup one. Uh, it's yeah, pain it's in the expensive. ass, but my good, my good boy, Bill Marshawn from the shop gave me his Scott Exodus to use as a backup, which I appreciate, Bill. I'll, uh, nice. I'll buy you, I'll buy you lunch on Sunday. Saturday. <laughs> it's totally worth a, a yeah. handheld release. Yeah. So yeah, the handheld release, like you talked about, like switching over close to season, like 
none of us recommend that. Switching over close to season, like these releases can take some time for you to get the hang of. Anchor point was different. Um, just, I had to, yeah, just I had to, I had to move, my, move my peep when I switched to a handheld release. Um, and, and a lot of people end up, you know, either sending an arrow out in the woods or punching themselves in the face. Like there's a learning curve to it. I hate back um, tension. If, if, if anybody wants to switch to a handheld release, I recommend it. I love shooting a handheld release. Do it right after season ends. So you have plenty of time to get used to this release. So, um, for me, I shoot a Carter Ember release. Um, it has a palm swell rather than a thumb barrel, which is basically a, a little piece that sticks off of the release that he- hits like the meat of my thumb closer to the center of my palm to make it go off. So basically, I can shoot the release more like um, a hinge rather than squeezing you onto shoot a barrel. Shoot a hinge, man. <laughs> but I really like that release, and I've shot it for... I don't know, four or five years now, and I'm like, I it'd be tough to switch me away from that release. But that's a, that's a personal preference thing, you know. I don't think that one's really better than another. Um, I'm that kind one's of pretty a, sweet. I shot that um, the other day at the shop, and that's pretty sweet. But then I was just like, God, I'm already shooting the same bow as Josh. I was hoping he'd shoot the Ultra so I could be a little different. But, <laughs> uh, now we're shooting the same bow. We wear, you know... Same T-shirt to work. I call him in the morning and said, "Are you wearing your the same hat?" Sometimes he does. It's kind of weird, but are you wearing I your st- Northeast Bowhunter T-shirt? To, I still to work wear today? the shirt though. Yeah, we just it's we're like I come in, I just do hashtag twinning, and <laughs> we're fine. Our Hoyt hats and Northeast Bowhunter podcast shirts. Yeah, that's horrible. Dodge trucks, RX ones. Yeah. God, Josh got a new truck this FMJs. week too, so I was, it was pretty exciting. I I was I was pretty pumped with him yesterday. I was at uh, I was off from the shop, and he was heading out. And he was off. He was you know, I was actually I was working yesterday. Josh was shooting, and I. Hop on my Instagram and I see this picture of like this black murdered out truck, RX one sitting in the bed of it, you know, just there and like some. That was a sick pick, man. It was. It was like one actually. Of those so so like full disclosure, I totally stole that from you. No no no. When when you had your um America bow. Oh yeah, the America. Josh had strings you, uh, on my bow. They were um, a couple years ago. Bow. They're pretty sweet. So you you had a picture in the bed of your Dodge. I thought it was badass. So I'm like, I'm gonna do the same thing. So seriously, so Instagram. This is the secret of Instagram. If you're a, if you're a bow hunter. Besides kill sh- kills, which is great, pretty much no one cares about anything to do with your life. No pictures of your bow. Pictures of your bow. If you have a truck and you put dude, the, it's insane. It's like it's super popular. So if you want an Instagram career, seriously, I built a whole entire career off my my bow in the back of my truck, which is pretty sad, but it's true. The actual funny thing is, is um, before we started the podcast, we did some shooting up in Josh's backyard and uh, with Banu, no last name, just. First name he Benu. doesn't need a last name. Yeah. Uh, so He's we all the only shot. person with the name Banu. We all actually have all RX1s. Josh has a QU one. I have a buckskin, and Banu has a um, a black murder out one. And so uh, before murder we went inside, out. we had all three bows in the back of Josh's truck, and I took a photo. I'll put it up on the uh, Northeast Bowhunter podcast Instagram account later. It'll be, it'll be funny. So so that's basically like our setups, what we're shooting and all that. But uh, one thing that we didn't talk about, and one thing that actually, Mark, you and I didn't talk about this before we did this podcast one thing that a lot of people don't really talk about is you have all this fancy stuff, right? You have this RX-1, Ripcord, Black Gold, Tight Spot, Spider, FMJs, Carters, Broadheads, Clean Shot Release, like, or Knox, uh, uh, rather. How are you transporting it? How are you protecting all this stuff when you go on trips, especially if you're flying? Yeah, so it's funny because... Um 
typically when I when I bring the bow into the shop or anything like that, a few of the guys put in their case and soft case or hard case. Yeah, I don't do in. that. I literally throw it in the back of my truck. I do too. Um, throw it right in the back seat. But uh, Josh, you took um, Texas. You took a Lakewood case with you, right? Yeah. So so a case for my bow. Uh, I I've I've used um, SKBs for qu- quite a while now, and I really like the SKB. But this year, recently at the uh, actually at the ATA show again, I was talking to the guys at Lakewood, and um, they were nice enough to give me a case to try out. I had to order a bunch of them, you know, whatever. But no, they're um, it's an awesome case. So when I went to Texas in April, I used that Lakewood. I flew and everything with it. That's an awesome case. And and the one thing I put a wheel kit on mine so you can wheel it around in an airport. But um, the case is like so. A couple things. If you had it in the back of your truck, like like Mark said. I just throw the bow in the back seat of the truck. Like I don't put it in a case when I do that. But when I travel, I obviously you got to put it in a case. So if you're, but if you did ca- drive around with your bow in your truck, you could put the Lakewood in the back seat of your truck and just drop the bow in from the top. You don't have to open up the case like you do with an SKB. The top opens up. The bow um, sits down in it uh, from the top, like string side down, sight up. Um, but also. There's a lot of room in that case. So the the uh, Lakewood that I have has a separate arrow box inside of the case. It has an accessory box inside of the case. So when I went to Texas, I loaded that thing up, man. I had my bow in there. I had like 18 FMJs in my arrow case. My accessory box, I had like extra broadheads. I had Allen wrenches. I had uh, sharpening stone. I had a serving jig. I had extra loop material, extra sight light batteries. I had tons of stuff in there. And then in the rest of the case, I put like, I had my video camera in there. I had my binoculars. I had my rangefinder. I had my tripod for my, my uh, video camera. I had my hunting coat in there. I had flashlights. Like, he way overpacked for Texas, by the way. I, I did. I totally did. So especially, especially the jacket. I, I, it's Texas. I, I packed a jacket in my Lakewood case. It was over a, in the blind anyway. It was like over 100 every time. You don't need a jacket. I was like ripping my shirt off. It was insane. But this Lakewood case, I had like, um, I think like, what are you allowed? Like 50 pounds for luggage. Yeah, 50 yeah. pounds, I think. So this Lakewood case weighed 47 pounds with all the crap I put in it. And that bow only weighs like 3.8 ounces. <laughs> yeah, 3.8 pounds. 3.8 pounds, yeah. So yeah, so that case is really sick because I was able to um, load so, up a bunch of other stuff. So what are you using? I have SKB, um, it's a double bow case. Um, only reason I have that is because I had a hundred dollar gift card to Amazon. So when I bought it, my wife thinks it only costs like 80 bucks. And I just realized she's listening to this podcast probably when it goes live. You can just edit, joking. You can edit that. Yeah. Edit that part up. No, it's, it's, it's pretty good. It's, um, sorry, guys, I, I have a bunch of cases. I, I used, um, that Hoyt, like, it's like, I guess it's a soft case. It's like kind of big and thick, um, Last year I went to Ohio. It was great. I, I did the same thing. I threw clothes in it and all yeah. my stuff in it. So yeah, the SKBs like I really like the SKB too. I, that was always my case. Um, but actually, SKB makes a soft case, and I have a spot that I'm going to hunt this year. Then I'm going to get to by canoe, and I'm trying. I was trying to think like, how am I going to get my bow into this canoe? You know, what I mean, I want to lay it on the floor of the canoe. I put it in the back seat of my truck, but it's not like the bottom of a canoe. shitty yeah. aluminum canoe. You know, so I think I'm going to use my uh, SKB soft case for that. That's smart. That'll work out good. I think I, if I was doing a Hoyt promo video, I'd use it as a as a ore. Your bow, yeah, just make it real badass. Um, so last but not least, um, 
and this will segue to a different podcast probably, but um, what are you shooting for broadheads this year? He's shooting multiple broadheads. That's <laughs> yeah. a secret. Yeah. Such an so asshole. I don't know. Over the years, like, I think I've killed more deer with a G5 Montec than any head. I don't know. When I shot traditional, I killed a lot of deer with a Magnus two blades and four blades. But I, um, this year, when I went to Texas, I tried out the VPA three blade on a hog. And I really like that head. I think it's a little bit better than the Montec. Um, so I'm, um, and I'll go into further detail in, detail in a different podcast on that. But um, yeah, this year, so my quiver, I'm going to have VPA three blade. And I just recently decided to try out a slick trick four blade. And man, that broadhead is sick, dude. That thing's sharp as fuck. And it yeah. flies awesome. I think that's going to be the head I'm going to kill deer with this year. I caught my finger just looking at it. Yeah. So I actually, I was shooting it the other day, uh, yesterday in the foam. And uh, I pull it out and I'm like picking the foam out of the blades. And like I hit the blade a couple times and like I put a couple small cuts in my, in my finger. It, yeah. that, that thing is like a razor. It's insane. And it flies awesome. So in my quiver, I'm going to have VPA three blade, slick trick four blades. And I might throw one or two G5 dead meat expandables in there. I'm not a huge expandable guy, but I'll probably throw one or two in there. I kind of want to shoot a doe with the, with the dead meat this year. Yeah, I'm shooting the VPA three blade um, broadhead. It's, it's awesome. It's machined from like one piece. It's like super sharp, really easy to, re, to, to sharpen again, you know. Um, so this is my first year like going fully fixed blade. Like I've always like kind of. Really? Like, I, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, I actually last year I um was gonna do fixed blade. Welcome to being a man. I know. I feel like my, I feel like hashtag balls dropped. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. So I actually um, I shot um Dead Ringer Freak Nasties last year only because I needed some extra broadheads and I thought it was a sign because there was a 200 inch deer in Ohio. Every every farm in Ohio is 200 inch deer, but there was one we had in camera. My friend Greg Zygon had it in camera. It's a monster. Ended up getting shot by the the lady next door, muzzle loader season in Ohio. Um, you know, but we nicknamed him Greg nicknamed him Freak Nasty. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna shoot these broadheads. And they shot pretty good. They're like a three blade, like really long blade, kind of like the swackers. Um, so I took those and I took rages with me. And um what kind of rage? I think I took hypodermics last year with me. I don't know why, but I um I did. And then uh so this year fixed blade all the way you know i shot him um the other day at 40 yards i was hitting a little bit left but i think that was me because um when they came back on the on the riser on the shelf right there they're my arrows are really short optimal spine for me it says it's 27 inches so i i I cut them 27 inches so it's really short but that did you cut 27 or 27 and a half Oh, I think 27 and a half. 27 and a half. 27 and a half, yeah. So, so Mark's draw length is set on his RX1 to 29 and a half. Yeah. So, my, so yeah, when you, when you cut an arrow two inches shorter than your draw length, the back of that um, arrow comes really close to the uh, launcher of your rest. So it made me a little nervous with the, that big old, like, nasty-looking broadhead on there. So I drew back. So I, I think I just I was a little nervous because I shot some <laughs> the other day. And then shot, it was a little bit to the left, and then, and then the other one was a little bit – you know, more center and it was fine. I shot them this morning. They were fine. Was it, that was with the VPA. Yeah. Yeah. And they yeah. flew awesome. I was yeah, the surprised. V, the VPAs for me are shooting sick. So it doesn't matter like what you shoot for. Well, like I said, we're going to get into broadheads later, but if you're both tuned, the broadheads are going to fly good. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, I mean, we have really similar setups for our, for a bow this year. You know, I said like, um, 
I have that weird thing every every time I see a black bow or I work on a black bow, I'm like, God, I dang know, it. me too. So so 2019, when the 2019 Hoyts come out, if you see Mark, like Mark or me shooting a bow that isn't black, slap us. Yeah. That being said, if they do a Ridge Reaper Forest, I might do a riser that's that way and black limbs. Oh, shit. Because uh, that looks pretty sick. But I, I we'll see. It'll be a game hand decision, I think. But uh, <laughs> hey, just we'll end on this. What do you think they're going to do for 2019 from Hoyt? We don't, we don't have any intel. Jo- I mean, Josh is pretty much has slept with everyone at Hoyt. <laughs> Dudes included. No, I'm just joking. They're, they're all bros. But um, we have no intel. They didn't. They like, no, Ho- Hoyt's really tight with what they do. That was the joke at the, do, yeah. at the, um, we went to Hoyt in May. That's right, yeah. That was a joke that. Oh, yeah, we went on the tour. Yeah, Looper, they sh- showed Looper, us that. the VP was like, hey, when we come back to the, the to the lodge, tell everyone that we showed you the 2019 bows. <laughs> Which, of course, isn't true. So, no, it's not true. Um, and actually, none of us have any idea what they're going to do with the 2019. But, but for me, what I would like to see change is that cable guard that I was talking about earlier. I want to see a flexible cable guard again. Would you shoot the longer bow if they do that? Yep. Also, we were surprised. Very quickly, we were surprised by the the mid season release of the Nitrix. I was, yeah. So I don't like mid year release bows, but Hoyt did come with it with a mid year bow called the Nitrix. I think it's an awesome bow. I brought one. I set one up. Brought one home. He kept it at home for like I, a I, week. Well, for like a month. Yeah. But uh, but anyway, so I I shot shot the shit out of it. I love that bow for the money. It's an awesome bow. But I don't like mid-year bows because as a dealer, you buy bows, you plan on your year sales for a bow and you buy what you think you're going to sell for the most part. And then all of a sudden you say, okay, I have X amount of power maxes that I think I'm going to sell this year. And I have X amount of hyper forces that I think I'm going to sell this year. And then all of a sudden in July, they go, oh, here's another bow. Well, that, that sort of just screws up everything, you know? So I wasn't really excited about that, but it is a really good bow. Yeah, it's 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 pretty um it's pretty fantastic. Um you know what I was thinking about that too. Um we didn't cover this just real quickly. Arrow wraps. I know I have some sweet ones on we we, we have custom arrow wraps on our bows, four inch wraps. Um but what do you think, dude? Some guys are like diehard wrap guys um on their arrows, and some guys are like, eh, like Yeah, so so I'm actually kinda I'm I am a diehard rap guy, but honestly, like they don't do anything. Other than look cool, that's the only reason I use them because they look cool. So I guess, but the, but theory, the one actually like negative effect would be that it adds more weight to the knock end of the arrow, which I don't like. But I like how they look, so that's the only reason I use them. So I, I read I read something a while ago. The theory is like, imagine a vein, right? Yeah, it's there, and it's it's like your two fingers and your thumb spinning something, but now you attach a wrap, so now it's like your whole hand spinning it. That being said, it's still that two inch area of that vein well, that's spinning. I know. I was like, I don't know if I really subscribe to that. So when I shoot, I see the theory, but uh, when I shoot uh, factory fletched arrows and I shoot custom wrapped arrows with helical or whatever, I hit that same spot. And not that I'm yeah. fantastic, but I, they go in the same sort of spot on the target. Yeah. So I I shoot a helical on my arrows, but honestly, I don't think it matters. Not yeah. not with compounds. Traditional, absolutely, you shoot helical, but compounds, like, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I, f- I feel like, I, I don't know. Especially at, I mean, within a shooter's ability, it doesn't matter. Yeah, especially at the eight yards I'm going to miss a deer at this year again. <laughs> oh, that's so hurtful. That's a different podcast. Too close. That's like a, 
it's a therapy session, I think. But um, yeah, so Josh has sweet wraps on his. Um, we should do some wraps for the shop. Yeah, we could do that. It'll be fun. I think we need some Northeast Bowhunter wraps. Oh my goodness, those are. I think that if you have those on your arrows, you automatically kill a hundred and forty inch deer. That's is a guarantee, according to Mark. Yeah, according to Mark. <laughs> All right, so, so yeah, that that's um that's, that's our setups, man. Yeah, hope everyone has a good good season this year. Like, uh, tag us in some photos if you uh if you smash some big old deers or some Absolutely. small deers or whatever deer. Absolutely. Um. Yeah. By the way, like any deer killed with a bow is a trophy. Especially especially in fucking New Hampshire. In man. the Northeast, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's awesome. So yeah, that wraps up podcast number. We don't know what number it is. We're gonna just launch a bunch at the same time. Um soon before the season starts. So uh soon, yeah. I've had a bunch of questions about when this when is this coming out. We wanna we wanna have a few so you have some listening stuff. Chris so. DeRocher. Yeah. <laughs> Hey Chris, who was an RX one also too ultra, right? No. Yeah, no, no. He got a reg- he got a regular RX one, eighty pound Kuyu Verde, uh, Ripcord Max, black gold, pure driven. That's and I'm awesome. sure he's gonna shoot a spider stabilizer in a tight spot. Absolutely, force I'm just letting you know, Chris. Yeah. That's where you're shooting. But no, he actually hasn't even picked it up yet. I actually haven't set it up yet. I'm gonna set it up in the next couple of days. Awesome, awesome. So next year, just preview my bow. I'm gonna get an eighty pound limb bow next year and turn it down to sixty eight. <laughs> Just like a shoot 80 pounds. That's awesome. You can tell everybody you have an 80 pound bow. That's what I'm going to do. Hey, so uh, thanks for listening. Uh, this is Mark and Josh. And, uh, you know, um, we really appreciate all the support. And uh, Absolutely. You know, uh, thanks for listening. Peace out. Peace. Peace.